So uh, if you are a uh, minute element in length of time, there's new chairs in here today. Yeah. They're nice. And here's the deal. They, they all click together really closely. So if there's like no seats when more and more, because there's people in the back. If they, and so you guys like scoot in. If you came here and you got in a fight with your spouse on the way down, just move on over. Charm around them. Kiss them. Y'all, They'll be like, oh, I'm so mad at you. Not Aaron said to scooch on in. <laughs> be fine. So actually, are there any seats next to anybody? Okay, over here on the side, there's some of you guys. Right, right behind me, next to this guy. I don't know. I'm pointing at him. <laughs> All right, this is how Easter goes. Uh, welcome if, uh, to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are uh, condensed sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. Usually, it's a it's a folded sheet with a bunch of stuff in the middle. Uh, today, we just gave you half sheets. Not that we're dumbing it down or anything, but we're just trying to help you out a little bit. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called Uversion. It's free. Inside Uversion, you click on Live. It'll actually bring us up by GPS in your smartphone, and you'll get the sermon notes and the, well, today, you'll get the questions and the verses uh, in your smartphone as well. So we don't ask you to shut it off. We just ask you to download the notes, and if you're going to actually text, actually look at the sermon notes. You'll be okay. Uh, I, got, I got one little thing to, to tell you about. Uh, we had baptisms last week. And what we do is we send out this, uh, this email update uh, every week. And if you want to sign up for it, you know what's going on around Element. You go to our website. You can actually sign up for that. We have a prayer list on there, uh, a women's ministry update if you want to get on that. And so every week I send out this little thing says what's going on around Element. And this week I gave a very sarcastic thank you to all of you that came to baptisms last week and fed my dog. Because <laughs> 2 a.m., all right, my dog's all, <laughs> right? And I got to take her outside, and she's getting the runs all day i changed my dog's name to skids is what i was thinking of calling it and it's like i know i know just like i think it's really funny that our newcomer party is on 420 anyway it's at 7 p.m so we'll be okay all right anyway so and so actually as i was going through the backyard i noticed somebody decided to leave their sandals and my dog ate it and i think this 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 might have been what was coming out at 2 a.m i'm just not too sure but if you want it back, you can have it, but I, I don't think you should claim it, all I'm saying. I also noticed she was going around and pulling some food off your guys' chairs, too, so it's not all your fault. Curses you if you left the sandals, though. That's where we're going. Why don't you guys stand there? You're reading God's Word. Get going here. This is John 14, verse 5, and it says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you for being a God who has revealed to us the way uh, that you have sent your son to come and and live and die and rise from the dead for your people and i ask that we be those who glorify you and worship you with our lives and unbridled affection amen have a seat all right easter i actually wrote this message uh, on christmas eve feeling a little feisty uh thinking about christmas and god's great gift to us and how a lot of people don't recognize the depths of that gift and I was thinking how on Easter and Christmas Eve, more people come through our doors than almost any other day during the year. And so I try to think, what is the most important thing that I wanted you guys to walk out of here with today? So much to the surprise of people who normally attend Element, I'm going to talk about Jesus. 
That's funny because I always talk about Jesus, so whatever. I actually kind of debated on what I was going to talk to you about today. I didn't want to come across as stuffy or old-fashioned or anything like that. But in reality, I can think of nothing better than to share with you what I'm going to talk to you about today. I'm not going to throw water on you like last year. I'm not going to blow glitter in your general vicinity like I did a couple years ago. But I might just offend you, and if I do... Good job for me. That's, that's maybe what I'm going for. Uh, pre-resurrection. Jesus makes this statement in John 14, 6. It comes right after Thomas says, how can we know the way? This would be the way to heaven, the way to eternal life, the, the way to the life that God calls us to. How do we know the way? In John 14, 6, and Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through faith in Jesus is the way we come to the Father. This is one of the most controversial statements Jesus ever made because it is one of exclusivity. I mean, and, and for our day, people ask a lot of questions based out of this statement. Question like this, isn't it arrogant to say that your faith is right and other people's religions are wrong? Doesn't a statement like that lead to intolerance at best and then violence that we would all be horrified by at the worst? People say, are you honestly telling me that because we have different religious beliefs, you're going to heaven and I'm going to hell? Now, let me start off by saying that up front, that religious and spiritual arrogance and intolerance and contempt has been a problem throughout the ages. It is not confined to Christianity. It is confined to the human race because we all just live that way. It's a great problem in our world today. Arrogance is something Jesus consistently spoke against. In Christianity, I will tell you, there are some of the most arrogant and smug and judgmental, exclusive, self-righteous, superior, cranky people I have ever met. And you know how I know that? Because I've met you. All right? <laughs> And, and you've met me, and, and I know all that stuff is in me as well. So you've got to understand that what I say to you today is spoken of in humility, but also great confidence in the person and the work of Christ. Because today in our culture, we talk a lot about tolerance. But I'll tell you, according to the scriptures, tolerance is not enough. You can tolerate somebody and not even really like them. Jesus calls us not just to tolerate those around us, but to actually love our neighbors. So much of what drew people to Jesus was his humility, but also his knowledge of the truth. He's God in the flesh, and yet at one point he gets down and washes the feet of his disciples in humility. It is that humble and serving Jesus who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And those words don't, don't sound like humble words to us. So today, as clearly as I can, I want us to look at this statement by Jesus. I'll put it in our vernacular, which would be Jesus is the only way to heaven. And so as we start this, what I want you guys to do is set aside all your preconceived ideas about what you think I'm going to say so you'll hear what I'm actually going to say. Set aside the lies in the words that people assume are there so we can actually walk through this a little better. So we're going to look at the statement backwards, and I think this can help us get a lot past some of this stuff that goes on with it. I'm not going to take all the controversy out of the statement, but hopefully when we're done, it'll be controversial for all the right reasons. So we're going to start in the end with the word heaven. All right? That's, that's an important word. If you're, if you're a Christian, it's an important word for, for you and me. Actually, most people in America believe in an afterlife. Over 90% of people in America believe in an afterlife. Uh, th that's actually more people than brush their teeth every day. And that's really sad for our culture, by the way. I just want you to know that. Most people assume they know what heaven means, but have never given any really serious adult thought to, to it. Most people have a cartoon picture of heaven. This is why we're all ambivalent about what heaven is. People, you know, they th think heaven's like, oh, it's a really good thing. I'd really like to go there when I die, but I'm not really in a hurry to get there, all right? I just want to hang out here. And so what you do is you see all kinds of cartoons about heaven. Here, here's one. 
You want to go behind curtain number two? You know, it's like, let's make a deal. I mean, th- this is what we do with heaven. We make jokes. Like there's a story of, of three friends, and they all go to heaven and die at the same time, and they meet St. Peter at the pearly gates. And St. Peter says to the first guy, welcome to heaven. And he slaps some handcuffs on him, says, here's your heavenly reward. And he handcuffs this guy to the ugliest girl these three friends have ever met. He's like, St. Peter, what, what is this? Why is this my heavenly reward? And St. Peter says, well, when you were a teenager, you treated your parents like garbage. There you go. He goes to the second guy, same thing, handcuffed to an extremely ugly girl. And it's like, St. Peter, when you were young, you treated your, your parents like garbage. Finally, he turns to the third guy, handcuffed to the most gorgeous girl that they've ever seen. And his friends are like outraged. How come he gets that beautiful girl and we're stuck with this? You know, what, what's, what's up with that? You know, St. Peter, that we can tell you things he did that was worse than what we did. And St. Peter goes, well, when she was a teenager, she treated her parents like garbage. <laughs> See, but this, this is what we do. We, we have all these kind of stories about heaven. And interviewers like Larry King, when they interview religious leaders, you know, very often the first question is, who's going to heaven? You know, rarely is the question, what is heaven like? And I don't know where it came from or, or who made it up, but somebody somewhere came with, with this idea that heaven is whatever you like. It'll be the eternal pleasure factory. So whatever your idea of pleasure is, whether it's you know, snowboarding, wakeboarding, maybe going to Palm Springs, the eternal Las Vegas, eternal Hawaii, whatever your idea, that's what heaven's going to be. And the assumption, of course, is that, well, of course everybody wants to spend eternity there as long as they're allowed to get in. Now, I'm going to tell you the most important thing you need to know about heaven. And you may ask, have I ever been there? How do I know? No, I haven't, but I know Jesus, and, and he's been there, and so he lets us know certain things. Here's the clearest thing you've got to understand about heaven. Heaven is life with God. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, it is life with God. Heaven is uninterrupted life with God. If I've got to pick one single thing that runs throughout the scriptures, it's the glory of God. But right behind that is about life with God. God created human beings to live in community to know him. Adam and Eve in the garden. You see God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That is a picture of life with God. After sin enters the world, God has them make a tent and then a temple. That is a picture of life with God. Jesus comes. We call him Emmanuel, God with us. That's the ultimate picture of life with God. If you have your Bible, open to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. It's at the very end, really easy to find. If you start hitting word definitions, go back just a little bit. Oh, here's the maps. Too far. Go back a little bit. You go to the end of the scriptures, and what you see is that heaven is described as this city. That's a picture of community. In Revelation 21, verse 3, John says this, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. So John's hitting you over the head with this. And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Heaven is life with God. Leave your finger in Revelation and open up to John chapter 17. Fourth book of the New Testament. If you like stole one from the hotel and you got a Gideon Bible, it would be like the fourth book. If you got a normal Bible, it's a lot farther in than that. Okay, but John chapter 17. Um, and this, this kind of when you get to the whole idea of the way, the truth, and the life, eternal life, this is very important here. And people throw it around like they know what they're talking about. In the, in the Bible, eternal life is defined one time by Jesus. He's praying to his father, John 17, 3, and this is what Jesus says. And this is eternal life, that they, that's his followers, you, me, people, know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is eternal life that they know you god not just know about you but know you you to be immersed completely fully every pore of my being in the experience of god living in me today and now and through me this is eternal life 
You see, heaven does not contain God. God contains heaven. We are always trying to shrink God down to put him in our box. But God is like the biggest thing ever, ever. Go back to Revelation chapter 21 again. Heaven is not a great big city and somewhere in our corporate headquarters and you can go and track God down and make an appointment and wait in line so you can talk to him. Like, and you're like, oh, that Johnny Cash has been in there all day. i got to get him out so I can get inside. Man in black. Revelation 21, verse 22, John says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. That's Jesus. What does that mean? That means that God is everywhere not like star wars theology and the rock and the tree and you that that's not what that means it means that all throughout heaven in this life god infuses everything heaven is life with god the life of heaven it's impossible to avoid god and if you don't want to be around god heaven is never the kind of place that you would actually enjoy see here i'm going to back up here here's a question how many people in here have ever committed sexual sin raise your hand no don't raise your hand yeah raise your hand Right? It's like, ah! Everybody else, like, seriously, first service, had this family over here, and this, and this kid goes, Dad! <laughs> it's like, wow, sweet, you know? See, we don't raise our hands, but we're all a bunch of liars, because everybody here has committed sexual sin. Everybody. We are fallen people. It affects every part of our lives, including our sexuality. Everybody has committed sexual sin. But on the other side of that, most of you did not do that when your mom was watching or you thought she wasn't watching, right? Nobody did because then it would take all the fun out of it and you'd be totally embarrassed by it and you wouldn't have wanted to do it. You had to go someplace where you knew your mom was not to do something you knew she would not approve of. This is the idea. In heaven, there is no place where God is not. In heaven, once you're there, there's no place to run for like a quick sin. If you want to gossip or judge or, or hoard or self-promote or be cynical or exclude somebody, or get all puffed up, be, be jealous or, or self-righteous or whatever it is, whatever you're going to do, God is everywhere. You, you just can't get away from it. See, heaven is not a pleasure factory. It's a certain kind of community where certain qualities like humility and generosity of spirit and honesty and truthfulness and commitment to other people are as predictable as gravity is on the earth. Heaven's the kind of place where people just wanted to go and sin. They're going to be miserable, just miserable. It's like a chain smoker who's got to go on an airplane. I mean, if you, if you don't smoke, I'm telling you, planes have gotten so much nicer, right? But if you're addicted, it's a miserable experience. People when they're trying to jimmy the thing in the bathroom, no one's going to know. Oh, we'll know. Air marshal, take you down. I mean, it's just a miserable, miserable experience. This is a, Heaven is life with God that nothing, not even death, can ever interrupt. It's like, okay, so heaven, but, but how do I get there then? And that is so often misunderstood when people get heaven wrong. Because what we need is not a way to be allowed inside of heaven. We need a way to become the kind of people that heaven is the fitting and appropriate place. There's this old hymn. It's called Rock of Ages. Not the Def Leppard song. I know you crazy 80 butt rockers, you know, and all that. Okay. Rock of Ages is this old hymn. First stanza, great line at the very end says, Be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. See, sin needs this double cure. Number one, save me from wrath. If God is any kind of just God at all, he's going to be mad at sin and what it has done to his creation and his people and how we mess each other up. We need to be saved from God's wrath at sin. And it is God who is willing to do that, to save us from wrath. Jesus goes to the cross and he experiences ultimate death for you and I. All the wrath that God had on sin 
falls on Jesus, and we experience God's blessing in God's life. Second thing is we need to be remade and renewed. And that is almost seems the hardest part in that hymn, that whole making me pure part. Because the reality is most of us really don't want that. We don't really want to be that way. Most of us really don't want the life of God now. If we think it would be kind of oppressive to me now, why in the world would I think I would want that when I can never get away from it just for a second because I've died? I mean, this is the thing. We, we have this whole idea that, that, that heaven is like, oh, the 1% gets in, and we're the 99%, and, and we're going to protest. We're Occupy heaven. Let me in. You know, th- this, is, this is the idea. And this is why people ask the question, do you mean to tell me I'll go to hell because I'm not a Christian? No, you go to hell because you're a sinner. And I am too. And I am too. And the last thing someone who sins all the time wants to do is spend an eternity in the ceaseless presence of a holy God where any, any uh, possibility of, of sinful action is forever cut off, no matter how desirable it's going to be. And you can never get away, not even by dying, because you're already dead. It just stinks. What are you going to do? You used up your one and only death. You're just stuck there. This is the idea of depravity. We don't really want it, but because we think we can't get in, oh, we want it. I want it. How dare you tell me I can't get in? What's up with that? See, those in heaven are the ones who can actually stand it. The problem is, is that we are sin-addicted people, and none of us could ever stand it. In our culture's way of thinking about stuff, we think, of course everybody wants to get into the pleasure factory, and God is so mean. He's keeping people out. Well, how mean and exclusive of God. The reality is, is nobody really wants heaven, and it is God who is trying to bring people in. See, if if we really wanted heaven, not the cartoon place, not the pleasure factory, the real life with God life, if we really wanted that, earth would look much different than it does today. Your relationships with your family and your spouse or your kids or your friends will look much different than they do today. Because the problem from the very beginning is that God was offering life with him and nobody really wanted that life with him. And when people have the wrong idea about heaven as a pleasure factory where everybody just wants in, then of course the question becomes, well, who's going to make the cut? Well, how little can I believe? How much can I disagree and still make it in? How far can I get off track? How mean is God really going to be about this anyway? And when people ask that question, what they really want to know is what are the minimal entrance requirements for getting into heaven when I die? I mean, that's the question. But nowhere in the scriptures and nowhere does Jesus ever says, now I'm going to proclaim to you the minimal entrance requirements for getting into heaven. It would be really nice for our culture because our culture just wants to know that. Tell me what they are because, you know, I'll aim the bar low and 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 I'll go for it. Getting into heaven is not the thing you can do when you're trying to find the minimal entrance requirements for getting in. Imagine if I went to my wife before I married her and I said, Okay, Marianne, I want to know the absolute least I can do and still be married to you. Right? You look like, like I'm crazy. You know, what's the lowest level of commitment? What are the fewest affirmations I can give you? What are the smallest promises? What's the least amount of fidelity? What is the highest level of ignorance I can go into this thing with? Right? What, 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 can I, what are the minimal entrance requirements for husbandhood with you? I would not be married today. I mean, I know that's what marriages do after a few years. They kind of go there. Right? But, but that's not what they were meant to be. This is why we must understand that salvation rests in the hands of our God. Because we would mess it up every time. We must understand that our faith is that our great God does what is right by every single person. He does not do anything unfair. Abraham in Genesis 18.25 says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is right? Of course he will. 
He does not do anything unloving. In 1 John, it says a connection between God and love is so strong that God is called love there. And in that love comes justice. And if you read the scriptures, Jesus says some very hard warnings on the subjects of judgment and the afterlife and heaven and hell and the need for repentance. And we cannot overestimate God's justice as we cannot overestimate his love, but we constantly underestimate our own sin. You know, Joseph Stalin is one of the most evil people who has ever lived on this planet. When Joseph Stalin went to bed at night and he couldn't sleep, wanted to work himself into a state of sleepiness, he would read the list of the names that he was going to have executed the next day. Oh, I can't sleep. What am I going to do? I'm going to kill him. Oh, that's nice. All right. I'm going to kill her. Oh, that's even nicer. And and that's how he'd work himself into a state of bliss. He butchers tens of millions of people. In almost any conversation you have with anybody anywhere about heaven, everyone thinks, well, there ought to be a cutoff line somewhere, and Stalin should be south of the cutoff line. Except, you know, one person who wouldn't say that? Stalin. Stalin wouldn't say that because we all think we should make it. This is the human condition. We do judgment by comparison. And we give ourselves a break. And we, I mean, of those who believe in hell, only 1.5% believe they're actually going to go there. That's sad for them, I know. Like, uh, I'm going to go to hell. I'm a 1.5%er. Yeah. But seriously, we all do this judgment by comparison. And the truth should be sobering for Christians and non Christians alike. That just because somebody calls themselves a Christian, just because somebody goes to church or belongs to a certain political party, does not mean that they're actually believers. does not mean they're actually saved. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because we can deceive ourselves in so many ways. And this is why Jesus did not say a religion called Christianity would be the way. He said he was the way. That his teachings are the way through which we can know the truth about our sin and the truth about our great God. This is the truth. Through Jesus we learn his death on the cross can become our death to express the forgiveness of our sins. That his resurrection can become our hope. That his community can become our family. And so when he says that he is the only way, that's only, that is that exclusive word. That everybody has a problem with. Jesus is the only way. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it it doesn't mean. It does not mean that you believe in Jesus, you cannot learn anything from anybody else. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity writes this. He says, I have been asked to tell you what Christians believe. I'm going to begin by telling you one thing that Christians do not need to believe. If you are a Christian, you do not have to believe that all the other religions are simply wrong through and through. If you're an atheist, you do have to believe that the main point in all the religions of the whole world is simply one huge mistake. If you're a Christian, you're free to think that all those religions, even the strange ones, contain at least some hint of the truth. When I was an atheist, I had to try to persuade myself that that most of the human race have always been wrong about the question that mattered most to them. When I became a Christian, I was able to take a more liberal view. See, to believe in Jesus actually means there are some points I will agree with other religions on. It means that I will love and honor and respect and serve people by their face. But it also means that wherever the teachings of Jesus disagree with their teachings, I think that they are wrong and I will follow Jesus. And I will not pretend like there are no differences. Sometimes in our day, you, you hear people say, people say things like, well, I believe that all religions are the same. And therefore, I think it's arrogant and loving to think that you are right and somebody else is wrong. And those words sound so nice and democratic on the surface. The problem is, what if I disagree with that statement? Then your claims about religion being right and that my claims are then wrong. Then you're stuck being arrogant and unloving and it just goes downhill from there. See, the truth, 
by its very nature, is exclusive. It's just the way truth works. If something is true, the opposite cannot be true. That's the way truth operates. And if Jesus says there is a God and he has revealed himself and he has a character and it can be known and you have millions of Buddhists who say there is no God and millions of Hindus that say there's gazillions of gods, they cannot simply all be right. Somebody is true. And it doesn't mean that there's not a Buddhist who is a way better person than I am, and there's not an atheist who is a way smarter person than I am, but contradictory claims about God cannot all be true. And arrogance is when we think we can determine better than God what truth is when he has revealed truth. But I'll tell you the good news in all this, arrogance is a hard problem. It is not a truth problem, and it can be fixed. But you will never fix arrogance by trying to create a world where there's just religious uncertainty. In fact, the scripture says that arrogance is a much greater barrier to God than simple incorrect opinions. In 1 Peter 5, 5, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, it doesn't say that God opposes incorrect opinions about himself. The danger is closed, proud, self-sufficient hearts. And our problem is that the prouder our heart is, the less able we are to recognize how proud our hearts are. So what we need is not a religion, not even Christianity. We need a somebody. We need Jesus who has the power to change our hearts and our lives. And that is the best word in all of this, that Jesus is the only way and truth and life for coming to the Father. He is the way to have a heart and a life transformed, how we actually really bring heaven to earth and how we live and living this eternal life now. See, we live in a world that's just groping around in darkness. It's looking for spirituality. It's looking for God. He is found in Jesus. You go, you go to the Old Testament, and you got, you got the totality of the Old Testament law, the words, morality, circumcision of the heart. It all points to Jesus. You look at the Greeks and, and westernized culture looking for wisdom and insight and learning and logos and life after death and answers and meaning. It is all found in Jesus. Jesus answers every question anyone has about God. If it cannot be answered in Jesus, it cannot be answered. And into our darkness, God spoke one pure, holy, clean answer to dispel confusion. And that answer is Jesus, and he leads us to the Father. We are lost in the woods, and there is one light that leads us out of the woods and home, and it is Jesus. And if we properly have this understanding of Jesus' way, truth, and life, this actually brings some very positive things into our lives. Number one, it brings us hope. Because we know that our circumstances are not the final word in anything. God's word is the final word, and that is eternal life. We also know that the ability to yield ourselves to the will of the Father comes much more readily when we believe that Jesus is way, truth, and life. It doesn't mean that we are passive and throw our hands up, but we yield to God in all the hard places so we get through it and move on to true eternal life. It also practically gives us an understanding of the clarity of the love of God. And so we understand that when Jesus was arrested, the ropes didn't hold him to his beating. The nails didn't hold him on a cross. His love for us held him there. And that God is bigger than our error and bigger than all of our mistakes. And he bends everything to his will because our God is tremendously mighty and there is nothing greater than our God. And it also brings us great freedom. Because we live in a world that is obsessed with trying to control tomorrow, heaven. See, we do not need to know the future. We know God, and God knows and controls all things, and he is ultimately trustworthy, and there's great freedom in that. Having a proper view of Jesus changes us, so we live differently. 
I mean, you look at Jesus, and when, when he's you know, on that cross, he doesn't look like a king, beaten, betrayed, spat upon, ruined from a cross. But the beauty and irony of God is that nothing is as it seems. And, Jesus, and what you see is just a shadow. Jesus is a king, and he reigns, and he rules, and he bends all things to his will. And that should encourage us that this is the God we need, the one that came in the flesh for us. See, the Romans thought that we needed a bigger and a better government. The Jews thought we needed a a bigger and a better religion. And as things change, nothing ever changes. And a bigger government is not going to fix it. A religion with more morality isn't going to fix it. Pretending there are no differences in truth is never going to fix it. Only Jesus as way, truth, and life fixes it. Living eternal life, life as he calls us to, one way to the Father, Jesus. It is Christ and him alone, crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, ascended, and that is what we need. Christ our King, by God's grace, that is what we have as a people. See, this is the point of Easter. Way, truth, and life. The life of heaven can actually begin to be lived today. Not some far-off land of la-la or wherever. It is an ever-present reality. Eternal life can actually start now. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is one of the reasons every week we bring you guys to communion. Because you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. So we can actually be this redeemed people who live a life of eternal life that starts now, today, and moves on. And we can stop running around and saying things like, where are you going to go when you die? What are you going to do while you live? That's the question. Because God wants you to have life now, today. And it needs to be different than anything else anybody knows. Because it's a great and a good life. The band's going to come up and do a couple songs. And as they do, we invite you to take communion. Uh, There's going to be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you would like to pray with them, talk to them about Jesus' way, truth, and life, uh, if Today you decide you want to follow Jesus Christ with your life. We have uh, some new believer books in the back. Actually, walk through the first 28 days, give you a little devotional to to go with you. Uh, They would love to pray and talk to you. Uh, There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. We give because God gave so much to us, so giving is part of our worship. We do not pass a plate. Uh, We believe it's a response to what God has done, so we put the boxes on the side wall and in the back. And uh, I'm sorry, there is no food in the back today. If you normally come to Elements, like, where's the food? Well, I didn't put food back there because... I wanted people to get out so you could get in and get a seat. Most of you got one. Lucky you. All right. <laughs> uh, but there's some coffee and stuff in the back. And what we would more encourage you guys to do is maybe meet some other people and go out to brunch or lunch with some people and start to develop those relationships. Because, again, as I tell you, your worship to God outside of these walls, the, the other 167 hours of the week, is of more importance, greater worship to him than what you do in here. Our lives need to be lived showing what true life actually looks like, bringing heaven to earth by how we live out there. That is the importance of the gospel. He has changed our lives so we live completely differently. God is a good God, and he loves us tremendously and calls us to something so much greater than we will ever understand. But each day, we'll understand a little bit more, closer and closer to following him. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you for being a God who has revealed yourself in the person of Christ, who has called us as your people, and not just called us, but prepared the way for us to be able to come home. We thank you for all that Jesus did, and all that you've been doing from the very beginning. And I ask this morning, 
that you would convict us as your people to live different lives. Father, if we claim your name, that we would live eternal life today and not always be trying to put it off to some never-never land, but living the true life of you now. And that life would go on into eternity and just get better and better and better. We thank you for being a God of unfailing love and unfailing grace. That you are mighty to save. And God, we sometimes are so mightily wicked. And yet you come and save us. Jesus, thank you for revealing yourself as way, truth, and life. For leading us to the Father. And I ask for those in this room that have not met you, that this morning they would. And that you would also lead them home that true redemption would be lived in front of all those around us so that your great glory is lifted up greater and higher than anything else. We ask that in your son's name. Amen.